from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. Posons-nous sérieusement la question de l'avenir que nous voulons et ayons tous ensemble le courage de le construire. Für uns in Deutschland ist das Bekenntnis zum vereinten Europa Teil unserer Staatsräson. A strong united Europe is a necessity for the world because an integrated Europe remains vital to our international order. This is the moment for Europe to lead the way towards a new vitality. Hello and welcome to the CER podcast. Uh, my name's Sam. I'm one of the senior research fellows here and today I'm going to be talking with my colleague Elisabetta about the European Union's new Fit for 55 package and what's in it. Elisabetta, are you excited to be talking about this? Very much and I'm also excited you didn't make the joke about it sounding like a fitness program so that's that's great. I left that to you. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, great. I, I self-annoyed myself with that with the comment then. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Fit for 55, not a fitness package. What's it all about? What's in it? So it's actually a, a very big deal in terms of policy progress here, because it's true that the EU managed to achieve convergence uh, from the Commission, the European Parliament and the member states on the long term climate goals for 2030 and 2050 about a month ago, passing what is, is called the, the European climate law. And so that sort of enshrined as, as a legal obligation The, the, the agreement to achieve a reduction of greenhouse gas emissions by 55% at least uh, in 2030 with respect to 1990 levels and to make Europe a climate neutral continent by 2050. But, you know, that was just setting the goals, which was, of course, politically challenging. But then once uh, having set the goals, what matters really is to set the path to, to achieve those goals. And for that, you need credible policies. And so that is really what this package tries to do. Um, And in fact, it's, it's a lot of policies. It's, it's about 13 uh, proposals. Covering 13? 13, yeah, no less. Um, some, would, some would argue that's too many proposals for, for you to have to read in a week before doing this podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that that was, uh, <laughs> that was the rationale. But uh, no, I mean, I think jokes aside, I think there is a serious rationale also for putting all of them on the table at the same time to show that this is really sort of a whole of economy uh, effort here. Uh, it's not just about, let's say, Electricity, electricity generation, it's not just about energy efficiency. There is a lot more. Uh, it covers, as I said, usually all sectors of the economy. And uh, I think at the same time, the idea behind tabling all these policy proposals at the same time and having, I think, seven commissioners uh, around the table at the press conference, given we're into numbers, shows also how comprehensive and, and, and how much of a silos breaking, in a way, I guess, exercise uh, pulling together this package uh, must have been. And, you know, still has to be if the package needs to become a reality. Yeah, so, so, so I suppose we don't really have time to, to, to comment on every piece of regulation. But, but, but looking at this in, in the round, what would you say the key objectives of the package are? And also what are the sort of key areas it, it, it focuses on? Yeah, so I think the idea of this package is to accelerate uh, decarbonization and to make basically the 2030s the decade in which the EU changes the pace of its climate action efforts. And so to do that, I think we can probably identify, I'd say, at least three sort of broad objectives. The first one is cleaning up uh, heavy industry. Um, as well as transport. The second is involving households uh, in the energy transition. And the third is uh, creating an efficient as well as clean, as in uh, decarbonized energy system. So these, I think, are 
some broad headers which can be helpful in, in trying to group together and analyze the many proposals that are contained in the package. I'd probably, I'd probably add a fourth, and this is, this is due to my area of interest, and it's, it's the CBAM, right? The Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism in the attempt to level the global playing field unilaterally. And I, and I think that's probably not something we're going to talk about too much now, but, but we wrote an insight together on this uh, about a, a few days before, before the final package uh, was announced, which I would very much suggest people read because not so much has changed, a few tweaks here and there, but I think our general uh, concerns and suggestions remain uh, the same. But going, going, back, going back to sort of the, broad, the broader package, decarbonisation in heavy industry in the EU is something that has lagged behind for a while. Would, would you say this package is tr attempting to address that? Is the Commission planning to reverse that trend? I would say so, yes. And, and partly also CBAM is, is a part of that effort, right? In the sense that, you know, let's go step by step. So first of all, why is it that heavy industry has been a bit lagging behind carbon emissions from the, the heavy industry sectors, think, you know, iron and steel, cement, uh, chemicals, and so on, are covered by the European Emissions Trading Scheme. So there's a cap on the total amount of emissions which are uh, allowed uh, to, to these uh, businesses, to these manufacturers, um, and there are allowances attached to, to, to emission permits. Now, what has happened until now is that uh, heavy industry, uh, to maintain competitiveness with respect to foreign producers who, for the most part, really are not exposed to price signals, to carbon prices, have been receiving these allowances, so essentially these rights to emit greenhouse gases for free. And so, of course, uh, you know, this is a free lunch and, and, and that didn't provide uh, great incentives for innovation, for cleanup, for decarbonization to heavy industry in the first place. So. Um, what, what the Commission is now trying to do is, as a first, I guess, step to um, tie the amount of, of free allowances that the plants can receive to the decarbonization efforts they put in place. So I guess introducing an element of conditionality there, together with a timeline for their phase out, which is in any case uh, in place. And, and secondly, I'd say also replace this kind of inward looking measure to avoid carbon leakage and to uh, create a level playing field, as you said, with, with foreign uh, producers, replace that with, a, I guess, an outward-looking one, an international-minded policy proposal, and that is the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, CBAM, meaning that um, rather than shielding your own domestic producers from the carbon price, what you're doing is that you're starting to expose them to it, but you're also requiring foreign producers who uh, export to the EU to face the same price, because the CBAM allowance price is going to be tied to the ETS one. So let's say in a nutshell, that's the, the, the reasoning behind it. I would say there's also another attempt for, for, a, for a step change in, in speed of decarbonization of the industry, and that is trying to boost innovation, really. Uh, and that is done partly by um, increasing the funds uh, associated with, with the so-called uh, innovation fund, uh, which which you know receives part of the revenues from the ETS and transfer them to to uh, innovation proposals uh, that that have to be competitively uh, sort of bid and, and won, alongside the introduction of additional guess, policy instruments to support uh, innovation and to support low carbon investment, things like uh, carbon contracts for difference, which which try and guarantee investors um, a fixed uh, carbon price in the future so that they have the, the level of certainty that allows them to make sure that their project is going to be bankable and thus, you know, take the lead 
and, and start making a concrete effort in, in, in the organization. So, so one of the things I've sort of noticed in the press co- coming off the back of uh, this package is, is some internal member state controversy or wrangling about this idea that pricing and the emissions trading system in particular is either going to be extended or, or a new version of it's going to be created but it's going to start in doing so to start to target more consumer facing bits of the economy so we're thinking maybe about transport and 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 there's been a bit of a backlash on this already is it, could you sort of give a bit more information on this and just just explain to me what's going on so what has happened until now is that um essentially the, the, the emissions trading scheme. So carbon pricing was only affecting big businesses, ultimately, right? Heavy industry, electricity generators, uh, to some extent, uh, aviation for, for domestic flights. So it, this meant that carbon prices were only very indirectly reaching consumers. What's changing now is that the commission has proposed to create a new ETS that covers road transport and uh, buildings eating. So these are two sectors which are, you know, very much close to consumers, which are active. Uh, so so, so it'd be, it would be a new one. So presumably exactly. it would have its own carbon price separate from the original ETS. Yes, that's the, that's the idea, considering that the, the current ETS, uh, the one that's been, that's been in place for uh, about 15 years, I think, has now reached quite substantial carbon prices with, with an impressive run-up, I think, in, in, in the past six months, uh, where about 55 uh, euros per tonne of carbon. And so... On the other hand, introducing a separate ETS allows for a more gradual build-up of a carbon price covering consumer activities, uh, such as driving, ultimately, and, uh, and heating. So, so, so what does this mean, though? I mean, I think already before the, the, the proposal itself, there was a lot of discussion both within the Commission uh, and um, you know, very vocal uh, MEPs as well as uh, member states already sharing their, their doubts around it. And, and this all boils down to the fact that putting an explicit carbon price on these activities, on one hand, it certainly uh, provides you know, a very clear incentive to reduce the consumption of fossil fuels, you know, those you put in your tank and, and those you use, uh, let's say, to a gas boiler to, to heat your, your apartment. Um, but on the other hand, it also has a very clear uh, and stronger impact on more vulnerable lower-income households who spend already, to begin with, a higher proportion of their income on these type of basic needs services, right? So while, let's say, from the environmental point of view, um, the, the rationale is there and it is the, the most efficient way to try and encourage behavior change and, and, and you know, shifting uh, away from fossil fuels and towards alternatives, such as you know, heat pumps at home or, or electric vehicles or for transportation, the, the short-term distributional impacts are clear and are very, very much on the mind of, of everyone involved right now. And this is really what has, I guess, um, amplified the, the discussion that you were mentioning before and the, um, the fears of uh, all stakeholders involved. Now, this is one of the many flashing points, I think, of, of this uh, policy package. And while I think it's very important you know, not to try and hide and, and not acknowledge the fact that there will be uneven impacts from, from this kind of price increases on consumers, I think this can be, and, and we know that this can be offset uh, and this can be handled and, and can be yeah, really cancelled out 
through careful use of revenues from ETS. So, uh, and this is something, in fact, that the Commission has proposed together uh, with uh, the introduction of this new ETS. Meaning what? Yeah, meaning that part of the revenues from, from this new ETS would go into this new thing called social climate fund, and, and that would basically be oriented to try and address energy poverty, so to try and provide income support to the most vulnerable households who are you know, uh, having a hard time with, with temporarily higher uh, energy bills. Great. So, so, so we talked about heavy industry, we talked a bit about transport and buildings, and we talked a bit about, I suppose, just transition is, 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 is the phrase that gets used a lot when we discuss sort of how to deal with the inequities inherent to such pricing measures. But, but what's about the energy system itself? I'm, I presume this package does have some new targets or new objectives there as well. Yeah, definitely. So we have, I'd say, uh, you know, while, while what we've discussed so far is really about introducing new types of measures, of groundbreaking ones, in fact, CBAM, the new ETS, when it comes to the Renewable Energy Directive and the Energy Efficiency Directive, what we are seeing is sort of an upgrade and a strengthening of, of rationales, which were in large part already there in, in previous policy efforts. So we see a, a more ambitious target when it comes to deploying renewable energy, trying to achieve at least a 40% share of renewables out of the total energy mix at EU level. And we also see that finally the US decided to make its target for energy efficiency improvements a binding one continent-wide. And this is going to translate into indicative, but still you know, important national level objectives to try and get a broader and a more important, a clearer and numerical incentive to member states to try and up their efforts to increase energy efficiency across the economy. So in industry, in transport, but I would say most importantly in, in buildings. And this ties, I guess, with one of the biggest also policy proposal that we've seen in the past year, the, the renovation wave, which tries, I think, to tie the challenge of recovery by trying to boost the, uh, I guess, employment in the, in the construction sector, following sustainability rules, and then, you know, with the aim of increasing the energy efficiency of buildings, and so uh, improving the comfort of, of households when they're at home, and reducing energy bills uh, to, you know, better, better insulation with for buildings. So these are I'd say the, the, the challenges uh, in, in the energy efficiency sphere. There's another tricky bit, I think, which indicates that, yes, the, the, the challenge, I think, in, 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 in greening the energy sector is not only going to be about achieving higher goals, uh, but it's also going to be about trying to strike a careful balance between climate action, and in this case, you know, the deployment of renewables and other important uh, political priorities of the Commission, notably biodiversity and forestry strategy. And I think one of the flashing points there is, I guess, finding the balance between the importance that biomass has as a, what, what is labeled today a renewable energy source. And again, you know, making sure that forestry management is sustainable uh, enough so that, you know, we can, we can actually be in line with uh, biodiversity uh, targets. So, so, so we've, covered, we've covered a lot and you've given a very impressive overview of, of what's contained within the package. But I suppose the big question is, you know, is this going to be successful? And, and, and what needs to happen for this giant policy effort to achieve its goals, which is ultimately, you know, climate uh, carbon mitigation and, and saving the world from climate change? Yeah, no biggies. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> indeed, no, I think 
it's 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 quite daunting, I think, when when you look at it, especially in its entirety. Uh, and I, I think uh, you know we already highlighted through the discussion some of the flashing points and some of the I guess the political disagreements that have already sort of surfaced uh, in, in these days. Um, I think in terms of the elements of success for this package to, to work, first of all, to be adopted and then you know to be successfully implemented, are to try and find the balance between um, the price signals, uh, which are, are important, and I think they've been you know, behind the success we have had in the past uh, decade and more in, in starting out the decarbonization of the energy sector. So um, making sure that the ETS provides uh, meaningful price signals to industry, to power regenerations, uh, to the transport, in fact, actors, which are going to, to start to be um, exposed to price signals. We didn't discuss it, but the, the maritime sector also is going to be embedded under the ETS, as well as, uh, you know, as we said, consumers. There's going to be another sort of price signal generating uh, reform, which is uh, touching up the, the, the energy taxes so that they reflect the carbon content of fuels rather uh, rather than being set uh, more or less randomly. And so all of these needs to be uh, balanced also with uh, you know important and, and, and ambitious targets, which are partly already there, sectoral targets, uh, which, which are being proposed with, with some of the regulations, and um, member state level targets in terms of individual national uh, goals of, of emissions reductions. Uh, and, and all these also with some um, also regulatory interventions to try and make sure that there are some fixed sunset dates for some of the, uh, the most, uh, I guess, carbon intensive uh, applications. Uh, and I think one of the big not surprises, but certainly political gambles of this package is also the fact that um, the vehicle emission standards which are being proposed would in fact translate into the phase out of uh, combustion engine cars. So, you know, gasoline and diesel cars by 2035. So here you see the mix between carbon signals and, and, and regulatory actions and ambitious targets that needs to sort of be balanced out in, in a careful way. I think another necessary ingredient for success is, of course, um, acknowledging and addressing correctly and, and effectively and credibly uh, from, from a political point of view, the distributional impacts that are uh, involved by, by the transition and by climate action. And I think we spoke about the distributional impacts between households of different income levels, of course, so let's say uh, within, within member state impacts, but of course, different member states are, are also going to be differently impacted by these measures. Uh, businesses and households are, are differently impacted and they benefit from, from different timelines uh, when it comes to decarbonization. So that's something to be squared out. And also, I think on the international sphere, something that you pointed to when, when you alluded to, to CBAM, um, I think we need to be convincing also, I think, with our international partners when it comes to sharing the costs of, of the transition. Uh, and, and this brings in, I think, to, to the final point and to the final, I guess, prerequisite for, for this whole thing to to work out and, and to pull off the, the, the climate action feat. And that is to, for, for the European uh, Union, I think, to shift away from a kind of inward-looking climate action towards an outward-looking and, I guess, internationally leading uh, climate action effort. And that means, you know, starting to convince other uh, major uh, polluters, such as the US, such as China, to 
amplify their uh, their climate policy efforts um, and at the same time I think reassure other countries other trade partners who might be a bit uh, annoyed if not overall uh, scared by by the CBAM proposal that uh, I think um, revenues are going to be used also in such a way to support their decarbonization efforts and to also meet I think the EU pledges for for climate finance so um, not that much <laughs> as you can no. see here. Quite a bit on the table. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll have to see also in, in, in the next, well, maybe in the next weeks, I think Brussels will sort of take a break and go on holidays because this was <laughs> quite a feat. Uh, but uh, I think soon enough, we, we'll observe uh, more political reactions and see, you know, where, where this is going and, and what, I guess, counter proposals or, or tweaks we, we can expect. But, but you're feeling optimistic? I think overall, I, I am feeling optimistic because this is this is impressive in terms of putting some substance on the table to meet the objectives. And it's, I think, a balanced package of proposals. Of course, some bits could be more ambitious. Of course, some bits are politically a bit of a gamble. But you know, if we take a bit of the long-term perspective, I think it's a it's a good mix of policies and it, it can deliver. Um, of course, it requires jumping to a, a range of higher hoops, I guess. For, for it to work out. So let's see how that goes. Great. And I'm sure this is something, a, a topic we'll return to in future podcasts. But for now, I'll say thank you. And uh, I think you could probably do with a bit of a break as well <laughs> uh, for the rest of the day, given, given, given the last week you've had. Um, for those listening, if you have enjoyed uh, this podcast, uh, this episode, or, or, or just in general, uh, we would really appreciate it if you could uh provide a rating on whichever podcast provider you use so long as it's a good rating obviously we don't want bad ones and also if you could leave a positive uh review because that uh, very much helps uh, with our placement in the different charts and uh, with uh, attracting more listeners to our little podcast so thank you very much and uh, i'm you, sure you'll hear from us hear, hear from both of us again soon thank you bye-bye Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.